you would, join me in the book of Ezra, Ezra chapter 3, we will start reading at verse 8, and if you would, please stand in honor of God's word. In the second month of the second year after their arrival at the house of God in Jerusalem, Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, Joshua, son of Josadak, and the rest of the people, the priests and the Levites, and all who had returned from captivity to Jerusalem began the work. They appointed Levites, 20 years old and older, to supervise the building of the house of the Lord. Joshua and his sons and brothers, and Cadmiel and his sons, descendants of Hodaviah, and the sons of Hinnadad and their sons and brothers, all Levites, joined together in supervising those working on the house of God. When the builders laid the foundation of the temple of the Lord, the priests in their vestments and with trumpets and their, the Levites, the sons of Asaph, with cymbals, took their places to praise the Lord as prescribed by David, king of Israel." With praise and thanksgiving, they sang to the Lord, He is good. His love toward Israel endures forever. And all the people gave a great shout of praise to the Lord because the foundation of the house of the Lord was laid. But many of the older priests and Levites and family heads who had seen the former temple wept aloud when they saw the foundation of this temple being laid, while many others shouted for joy. No one could distinguish the sound of the shouts of joy from the sounds of weeping, because the people made so much noise and the sound was heard far away. Let's pray. Well, Father, we humble ourselves before your word today, and I pray that we would take this seriously, that maybe we take for granted that we just come to church on a Sunday morning and we have uh, songs and scripture read and then proclaimed. But God, I pray that we would have a living encounter with you, a powerful manifestation of your presence where you convict hearts, convict us of sin, of righteousness, of judgment. Reveal your goodness to us this morning. Show us your glory. I pray, Father, that we would leave a changed people because we have devoted ourselves to your word and that your Holy Spirit opens our eyes to see and gives us ears to hear what the Spirit would say to us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Well, last night, uh, yesterday, I had the privilege of going and spending some time with uh, the youth for uh, Disciple Now, and uh, good day, long day, uh, full day, uh, but as I was uh, sitting uh, yesterday evening, uh, my phone buzzed, and it was a text from a youth worker. Uh, he was an adult sponsor from back when I was in the youth group a couple of years ago, Okay. Uh, that gap is getting longer and longer, but, uh, but he was there before I got there, during my time there, and after I left, uh, he had uh, daughters that were uh, younger and older than me, but uh, seemed to me like he was just committed to showing up and being a volunteer, and it gave me cause, gave me reason to reflect on all of the people 
uh, that worked behind the scenes, showing up, volunteering at youth events, whether it was when I was in children's ministry, youth ministry, they, they would teach Sunday school, they'd volunteer, they'd give their time and effort uh, to go on a trip uh, to clean up uh, our mess uh, that we would always leave, uh, just uh, demonstrating immense amounts of patience uh, with myself and others, uh, and uh, they weren't the kind that would ever step foot on stage or be recognized in any way, but they were vital to me being discipled in Christ, to others becoming more like Christ, vital parts of my formative years as a youth, an example of faithfulness. And I want you to know today that um, good churches are good, not necessarily because of what takes place on a stage, but because of what happens behind the scenes, what happens in the trenches, what happens in in life groups, what happens at children events, youth events, so many different uh, things going on behind the scenes, names never called out, uh, personal glory never uh, recognized, and yet vital parts of what makes a good church a good church because they love people. They pour out into people and make disciples, whether people recognize it or not. Yes, as we look at Ezra 3, there were leaders involved. Zerubbabel, Joshua, uh, Ezra, a little bit later on, Haggai, Zechariah. But the temple was built by people whose names have been lost to history who won't be named in the history books. Uh, We don't read about them in the Bible. We may never know uh, some of their names, and yet they were vital parts of uh, this process. Over in chapter 2, I just want you to turn over to chapter 2 for just a moment. We looked at those long lists of names. Just skip all the way down to verse 50. There's a name, Asna. Who's Asna? We don't know. You say, why did you have me turn to this passage? That's just the point. We don't know anything about Asna. We don't know anything about a lot of the people in this list and their descendants and their children and their children's children. We don't know anything about them, but they were vital parts of the temple being built. And I've been pastor long enough to know that what makes this church work and function are men and women who are constantly working behind the scenes, who you do not know their name. They will not be recognized quite often They just are here because they love the Lord, they love serving people, and they're committed to the cause of the Great Commission. That's what makes good churches good churches. In Matthew 6, we've alluded to it uh, many times before, but Jesus says, be careful, be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. If you do, You'll have no reward from your Father in heaven. Be careful. Why should you be careful? Because it's a temptation for all of us. It's a temptation for all of us to suddenly start showing up to church and performing for others. That others may see how righteous you are, see how good you are, and be impressed by you rather than the Lord. I've heard it said before, and I think it's probably true, that the most humble person you know, you probably don't even think about. It'd probably take you a moment to even place them in your mind because there's just something so self-forgetful, unassuming about such a person. They're constantly pouring into others and encouraging others. Are you willing to serve and be forgotten, unseen, unrecognized? Are we willing to do that as we arrive 
In Ezra 3, attention turns to rebuilding the altar and laying the foundation of the temple. Um, Certainly names are given to us, those who are supervising it, but uh, a lot of people are working under the radar, so to speak. So today, I want to look at four vital lessons we need to hear. And I say that very intentionally. We need to hear these lessons, okay? Easily forgotten, uh, easy to drift into a different kind of mindset, uh, four vital lessons for the church today that we desperately need to hear. Number one, work for and demonstrate unity with God's people. Work for and demonstrate unity with God's people. Notice verse 1. When the seventh month came, chapter 3, verse 1 of Ezra, when the seventh month came and the Israelites had settled in their towns, the people assembled themselves together as one in Jerusalem. So Israel made their return journey to Jerusalem. They began settling into the surrounding areas. But once settled, now uh, they have assembled themselves together as one Uh, The Bible says literally, this is a Hebrew idiom, uh, as one man. It speaks of the unity of their mind, the unity of their heart. They are, their, their hearts, their minds are focused and set on the task before them, on the job that is before them. The same words are used in Judges 20 multiple times, where it says Israel gathered as one man, The same phrase uh, used uh, here in Ezra 3 uh, to speak of them standing as one man against the Benjamites in this uh, civil war. They had a common foe. And I've learned that a lot of times the best way to get people together is to get a common foe, right? Uh, People know this. If they really want people to get together and rally together, uh, they put out uh, some kind of monster, some kind of enemy, some kind of beast that we are to rally against. So they stood as one man against the Benjamites in Judges 20. But here in Ezra 3, this is a moment of solidarity where they have a different cause in mind. Decades have passed since the destruction of the first temple. Years have been spent in Babylonian exile. Thousands of miles traveled back to Jerusalem. Don't you just love when you're watching a movie and they're on the other side of the globe and then just snap and and, in a second suddenly uh, they're there and it doesn't take you through that journey, through that process, they're just there. Uh, In many ways, that's what's happening here. Uh, There's a call to go back. Okay, but just know that just because you turn a page or two and suddenly they they were in Babylon and now they're in Jerusalem, that didn't happen overnight. It's not like they hopped in the car, stopped at a Bucky's, and then they were there, right? Uh, Although, you know, it was like a thousand-mile journey, I think, and probably the way Bucky's works, I think they'd probably start seeing the signs, you know, about 500 miles away from Bucky's. That's the way it works. But um, I don't know how Bucky's got it. It's not in the notes. That, that was free, by the way. But uh, the point is, there took a lot of time to get back to where they were, where God had called them to be. And now they're back, and they are standing as one unified assembly. Their unity is demonstrated by assembling themselves together. So it's not just some abstract theory. It's not like just, hey, we're we're together in this. No, they physically come together as one. They gather together as a body. And uh, you've heard it said before, my father-in-law loves to uh, joke with me about this, especially when my kids were younger, but there's those three most dreaded words on Christmas morning that a father might read, and that is some 
assembly required, right? The point is, this object, this toy, is not going to operate if all the component parts are left separate. You've got to join them together in order for them to function properly, in order for them to work properly. That is how the body of Christ is intended to work, where we come together as one and we operate for a common cause. Turn over with me just briefly to Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 4. Anybody that's been in church for any period of time knows... Unity is not something you drift into or stumble upon accidentally. It doesn't happen easily. It takes work, sweat, blood, tears even. In Ephesians 4 verse 1, Paul writes, As a prisoner for the Lord, then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling to which you have received. In other words, you've been given this great calling, and now you need to live up to it. You need to live worthy of the calling to which you've received. Now he's about to explain to us what that looks like. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. A key part of living according to your calling is that you bear with others. Patience is not something easily come by. It's something you have to work for. It's something you have to intentionally choose every single day. But notice verse 3. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. When Jesus had his prayer in John 17, what did he spend a lot of time praying for? That they would be one, just as you and I are one. Father and Son. That's what Jesus spent his time praying for. That's something that Paul says we ought to make every effort because if you're a follower of Christ, that means that you're becoming a peacemaker. And peacemakers don't tear down relationships. They are a balm that heals them, where they bring people together. This community of Israel, they were standing as one. I don't, um, I don't think that that's in there accidentally. I think that they've had a number of different things that they've dealt with in their past, and now finally they're back assembled together, physically assembled together, and they have a common cause before them. What unifies churches is the Holy Spirit who moves us towards our mission to show the world the way, the truth, and the life of Christ. So in love, how do we apply this? In love, join with fellow believers and pursue God's given purpose for your life. Number two, get started rebuilding your life on God's word today. Get started rebuilding your life on God's word today. So they're sent back. Notice what it says, Ezra 3, verse 2, then Joshua, son of, Zeru, uh, son of Josadak, and his fellow priests, and Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, and his associates began, they began to build the altar of the God of Israel to sacrifice burnt offerings on it in accordance with what is written in the law of Moses, the man of God. Skip down to verse 4. Then, in accordance with what is written, they celebrated the festival of tabernacles with the required number of burnt offerings prescribed for each day. So they are to rebuild the altar of God. How? In accordance with the law of Moses. This is how they are to 
proceed. This is how they are to move forward. Their actions are to be in obedience and consistent with God's revealed word. Their very presence in Jerusalem is in obedience to God's revealed word. Now, let me warn you, I think some Bible translations say in accordance with tradition or in accordance with personal preference, because sometimes that's how we tend to operate. God tells us to do something, but sometimes we don't feel like doing it. Sometimes that's not what really excites us, or our emotions aren't there, our heart's not there, or whatever. And so we don't, you know, as we gather, just think about this for a minute. As we gather on Sunday morning, a lot of what we do, a lot of what we do is based on the Bible, right? We're devoting ourselves to the apostles' teaching, to the breaking of bread, uh, communion, uh, baptism, everything. We're, we're trying to do our dead level best to be guided by the scriptures. But let's just be completely honest this morning. There's a lot of what we do that's not in the Bible. There's a lot of what we do that's not in the Bible. Say, well, what are you talking about, Brother Jerry? Well, why don't we just, in summertime, why don't we just turn the AC off and go outside? Anybody up for that? Anybody excited about doing that? Probably not. I'd probably get some emails, right, if we decided to do that. We start meddling with our preferences, with our traditions, and suddenly a lot of us, we struggle with not being ticked off, right? They did what they did in accordance with the word of the Lord. Whatever we do, we ought to ultimately be informed by the word of God. Israel's past coming up to this point is messy. It's a messy story of disobedience. I mean, if, if Israel were just a person, they would have a story to tell, right? Uh, they, they would have a real testimony to share with us because it, it is a story of continued disobedience and rebellion against God, idolatry, injustice, so forth. But the good news of Ezra 3 is that your past does not predict your future. Your past does not determine your future. What happened to you years ago or what's even happened in your life leading up to this point does not have to determine how your future goes. If Christianity means anything, it means redemption. It means salvation. Redemption means a change, of course, in your life that you're heading one way and suddenly you change course. Just because your life has been heading in a certain direction for many years doesn't mean it has to continue to head that direction. And that's what the devil wants you to believe. The devil wants you to believe that the direction you've been heading in your life is who you are and there's nothing that can be done to change it. That you just have to keep going that direction. So maybe you deal with addiction or anger or you deal with lust or you deal with uh, greed or whatever, what have you, and, and that's just defined who you are for your entire life. The devil would have you believe that there's no power on earth that could change you and change the course of your life. I'm here to tell you this morning, good news. It was shadowed for us in the Old Testament, but in the New Testament, we see it in the person of Christ. Have we said this lately? Jesus can change your life. God can change your life. Your life might be heading towards destruction, but Jesus take the will. Y'all know that great hymn or whatever. But, um, but the point is, Jesus takes over, right? That you're not in charge of the steering wheel anymore. He is. You now submit yourself to the will of God. But the question is, why not get started today? Why procrastinate? Why wait? Why wait? 
another day. And we come up with justification. We come up with excuses, don't we? Get to that tomorrow or today's not really the right time for me. It's not really a good time for me. This thing has to happen. This thing needs to uh, come to fruition. This thing needs to be set in place. And we always have excuses and we always have reasons to keep going just as we are. And the devil wants you to keep coming up with those. He wants you to get more creative, by the way. Get more creative, get more clever. Whatever you can come up with to keep going the direction you're going. But Jesus would meet with us and he would say, return to your first love. He would meet with us and he would say, you're lukewarm. You think you're this, but you're not. You're, you're this over here. You need to repent, which means change course in your life. But I want you to notice something. that they're, they, They've gathered together as one. They've started to build the altar of the Lord, uh, that first piece to the temple. And why are they doing all this? In accordance with his word... What would we, if we were to just use a biblical term, what would we call all of this? Faith. You go to Hebrews 11. A lot of times I like to kind of do the reverse side to say, hey, you know what? If, if you really do have faith, then there's going to be works that accompany that. There's going to be faithfulness that accompanies that. Faith produces that. But now I want to kind of look on the flip side that uh, in order for you to really do any of this stuff, foundationally, you've got to at some point believe you got to come to that point in your life where you really believe that God is who he says he is, he has the power that he says he has, and he can work through you, yes, even you, to accomplish his purpose. Yes, even me. Yes, even all of us. I don't know the list of names, but they're folks just like you and me. I don't know that they, you know, had Levi Strauss jeans back then, but they put on their pants the same way you and I do, Right? They're human beings. God worked through them to accomplish his purposes. Number three, bring the sacrifice of praise daily and relentlessly. Bring the sacrifice of praise daily and relentlessly. We like to bring it sporadically and occasionally sometimes. We like to bring it when we feel like it. We like to bring it when our emotions are good. You ever have a good day? Folks, you can kind of tell I've been battling allergies, stuff like that. And then I, I go to the uh, uh, worship service last night, and, and my prayer at the beginning of the service was, okay, Lord, you're going to have to tune my heart today. You ever gotten on a, a guitar or piano that was out of tune? Like, that's, that's where my heart was because I was, I was tired, had some allergy stuff I was fighting off, and I'd taken a Benadryl to knock it out. Benadryl doesn't exactly lead to charismatic worship. Let's just say that, okay? And so, Lord, uh, tune my heart, maybe wake it up a little bit, do something. We're, we don't just worship when we feel like worshiping. God is always worthy of our worship. What do you think you're going to worship like when you get to heaven? I was thinking about this last night, in fact. This is free. It's not in the notes, by the way. What do you think you're going to worship like when you get to heaven? You're going to stand before the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords and you think you're going to worship like you worship on Sunday morning? You think you're just going to stand there, maybe sing a tune? Maybe they'll sing something that, you know, the next song, maybe it'll be the one that you really have been hoping we'd be singing or whatever. Or do you think you're going to just full-blown, whatever it looks like, 
for you. You think you're just going to full-blown worship the Lord. Here's the thing. What's true of God on the day that you stand before him is true of him now. It's not like suddenly you're going to walk into heaven and suddenly God's then going to be worthy of your best worship. God's worthy of your best worship now. That is true right now. The God that one day you will stand before and you will sing praises to your heart's content, all of that's true now. So why not start now giving God your wholehearted Worship. Notice what they're doing here. They, uh, they gather and they're building an altar. Why? Why are they building an altar for burnt offerings? You know, my last church I preached, uh, I, I thought this was funny. My last church I preached on Revelation, the four horsemen of the apocalypse. Our church was downtown. I'd never seen a guy riding a horse downtown in Trinity, Texas. But it just so happened the day I'm preaching on uh, the four horsemen of the apocalypse, I had a guy trotting downtown on a white horse, no less. And uh, I was tempted to follow him. But uh, anyway, uh, he went on. I just thought that was interesting. Well, today we're, we're talking about burnt offerings. And I'm walking about halfway up the, uh, the aisle, and I smell burning. So, folks, I, I feel like that God has something for us here, right? A burnt offering. I want you to notice something about this text. He doesn't talk about the architecture or construction of the altar What his focus is on is the purpose of the altar. And the purpose of the altar, so they can uh, give burnt offerings to the Lord. That's why. Now, uh, if you want to know more about uh, the background of the burnt offering, you can read Leviticus 1. You can read Leviticus 6. It gives some of the background uh, to this offering. It was a consecratory offering representing full surrender and commitment to God, a sheep, a goat, a bird, uh, but it was a pleasing aroma to the Lord, the Bible says. And as the text indicates, it was given morning and evening. But I want you to listen to something it says in Leviticus 6, 12, and 13. It says, the fire on the altar must be kept burning. It must not go out. Every morning, the priest is to add firewood and arrange the burnt offering on the fire and burn the fat of the fellowship offerings on it. The fire must be kept burning on the altar continuously. It must not go out. So this act of worship was daily, morning and evening, and the fire is constant. The fire is constant. So what is this for them? This is an act of worship. And this act of worship is not just something that they do one day a week where they show up, they spend an hour listening to someone talking, and they go on about their business. This was morning and evening, Daily, than bringing a sacrifice of praise to the Lord. That meant for them recommitting themselves to the Lord and surrendering their life to the Lord. Now we talk about recommitting our lives to the Lord and a lot of times we wait for a special event or something like that to happen. But can I just tell you, what if the sun rising in the morning, what if I told you the sun rising in the morning was all the cause you needed, all the motivation you needed to recommit yourself to the Lord and to surrender yourself to the Lord. Every day, he's worthy of your best. What do you think you're going to be like again when you stand before you're going to give him your best? That's true now. That's part of the challenge is right now we walk by faith, not by sight. Right now you walk by faith, not by sight. So can you live with that kind of faithfulness in the present? 
In Acts 5, 42, it says, Day after day in the temple courts and from house to house, they never stopped teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Messiah. Every single day, meeting in the temple courts, meeting from house to house, proclaiming the good news, praying, devoting themselves to the, to the word, this is who they were. Romans 12, verse 1. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. Can you really say that you're offering your best to the Lord? We must forget yesterday, forget what is behind. Stay afresh today. Commit yourself to following the Lord. Finally, number four, marvel at God's goodness, not Outward appearances. Marvel at God's goodness, not outward appearances. So it's interesting. They've waited all this time. They get back and they rebuild the altar and now they've laid the foundation of the temple. Very exciting day, you would think. And for many it was. But in chapter 3, chapter 3, uh, verse 11, it says, With praise and thanksgiving they sang to the Lord, He is good. His love toward Israel endures forever. And all the people gave a great shout of praise to the Lord because the foundation of the house of the Lord was laid. So in a sense, it brings us in with this, all of the people gave a great shout of praise to the Lord, but, verse 12, but many of the older priests and Levites and family heads who had seen the former temple wept aloud when they saw the foundation of the temple being laid while many others shouted for joy. No one could distinguish the sound of the shouts of joy from the sound of weeping because the people made so much noise. And the sound was heard far away. The sound was heard far away. Who's weeping? Those who'd seen the last temple. For them, this is a realization that things would not be as they once were. Things would never be as they once were. The temple wasn't going to look the same. It wasn't going to be, in their lifetime at least, as big and as immaculate as what they remembered. Haggai, a little bit later on down the road, picks up on this when they dedicated the temple, and it said this very much the same thing, that they saw the house of the Lord and it was nothing in their eyes. So two groups, one rejoicing, one weeping at what took place, and it was loud, it was a loud commotion, and nobody could tell the sound of weeping from the, from the shouts of joy. Have you ever gone to a movie and you've watched the trailer, you're excited, you, you've been anticipating, maybe it's a sequel or something, you're, you've been anticipating this, and you show up, and you watch it, and it just wasn't good, okay? It just wasn't good. It was like Rocky Five. it just wasn't really that good, okay? Uh, not like Rocky One, Two, Three, Four. anyway. Uh, but uh, so, it, it was just anticlimactic, it didn't really meet your expectations, that's what they're dealing with. They had a certain expectation. They had a certain idea of what the house of the Lord would be, and then they see the foundation, and it looked as nothing to them. We must not be deceived by outward appearance. A little bit later on, Zechariah would write, Who dares despise the day of small things? Since the seven eyes of the Lord range throughout the earth, will rejoice when they see the chosen capstone in the hand of Zerubbabel. Don't you know this is how Jesus operates? This is how Jesus came to earth. He comes to earth in, uh, among the Jewish peasant girl, Mary, the virgin birth. Uh, the shepherds hear the good news. And it wasn't anything spectacular uh, the way that we would anticipate for it to be. 
It was humble circumstances that brought Jesus into the world. When you, when you stand at the foot of the cross, the appearance of that doesn't look great. looks like defeat. But it's a demonstration of the goodness of God. It's a demonstration of his power to redeem. Little did they know that the foundation that they laid, that one day the beloved Son of God, God incarnate, the Word made flesh, would walk on that foundation. And people would see him, and he would be that cornerstone that the people rejected because of what? Appearance. What are we to do? We're to marvel at the goodness of God that God is right now working on your behalf and thousands of years ago sent his son in the fullness of time to die on the cross for your sins. The question is, have you committed yourself to him fully today? Have you surrendered yourself fully today? Let's bow our heads and close our eyes this morning. We gather today as one people. We assemble ourselves together as... The Bible warns us we do not forsake the assembling of ourselves together. We gather today as one in Christ to fulfill the mission that he laid before us. And as we do so, we are reminded that we are here to marvel at the goodness of God, not necessarily appearances. That we are content to be faithful to the Lord because he is good and his mercy endures forever. And maybe this morning as you sit where you are, you just need to come kneel at the altar and humble yourself before the Lord and commit yourself today, surrender yourself today to the Lord. Gracious Father, I thank you for your goodness and for your kindness. I pray that today that it would lead us to repentance. I pray if there's someone here who has not committed themselves to follow Christ and trust in him, that they would do so today. I pray, Lord, that right now we'd worship you as though we were standing before you. Right now we see dimly, but we, we live by faith, not by sight. We know that you are good. We know that you are holy. And so, Lord, help us to surrender ourselves to you right now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's stand. The, the altar is open if you want to come trust in Christ, if you want to follow through believers baptism if you want to join the church you might need to come kneel at the altar and humble yourself before the Lord and say I fully commit myself I surrender myself to you today Lord whatever you would have for me but let's commit ourselves right now as we respond to the Lord oh